Hey, this is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Before we start the show, we'd like to bring your attention to some cool conferences happening in Europe. Specifically, NDC London coming right up January 16th to 20th at the Excel Center in London. Right, and all the usual suspects will be there, and hey, they even let us in. <laughs> but don't hold that against them. Yeah. Hey, Richard, you're speaking about the Humanitarian Toolbox, right? Yes, I'll be hosting a two-day HTBox Codathon, January 16th and 17th, that's the workshop days, and then the keynote on Wednesday morning. Awesome. I'm going to be doing a lightning talk on the ketogenic lifestyle. We'll also be doing a live panel show like we always do. And of course, we'll be in the fishbowl making more great .NET Rock shows for your listening pleasure. So go to ndc-london.com and register now. And for more great NDC conferences, go to ndcconferences.com. .NET Rocks, episode 1395, with guest Rick Strahl. Recorded Thursday, December 8th, 2016. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Here for another hour of nutty, 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 nutty .NET goodness. Hey, it's the first show of the year, 2017. I still have a hangover. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Which is really hard for somebody who doesn't drink. But Yeah, that's going to be tricky. Maybe I have a, a coffee hangover or something. A sleep hangover. That's didn't it. Didn't do any of that. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. If I know you on New Year's Eve, and obviously we're recording this ahead of time, uh, you played your brains out. That's what happened. Actually, we didn't have a gig this New Year's. Oh, you chose not to. Nope. Or at least as of this recording, which is December 8th. We yeah, still don't. Still but not. It could be a month from now. So. Probably not going to have one. And it was sort of a unanimous decision by the band that we just stopped for a while. And re. yeah, we're going to regroup. We're going to learn some new stuff and uh, put out some YouTube videos this year of our original stuff and we're going to try to get more gigs in front of more people rather than dragging 10 people to a bar where you're lucky if there's, you know, a few people there who like your stuff and want to well, stay and listen. They're good. Therein lies the problem of the big band, right? Yeah. Well, it's, it's just the venue, right? Yeah. They don't, a 10 piece horn band doesn't belong in a neighborhood bar where nobody may know you're there. Right. We want to play in front of large groups of people. So it's just a matter of efficiency. For sure. As a geek, that's how I look at it. That's how you do it. Okay. And speaking of efficiency, for Better Know Framework today, I have something that Chris Love isn't going to love. Nice. All right, buddy, what do you got? Blueprintjs.com. Oh, no, it's a JavaScript library. Yeah, exactly. Chris Love will be angry. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, Chris. But uh, what's interesting about it is, you know, we, we talked about React UI, right? And uh, we've talked about uh, JavaScript libraries in general and how React has this component uh, layer that allows you to sort of use these nice already done components and just drop yeah. them in. Well, this is a toolkit for React. Oh, okay, cool. So this is a set of components and user interface elements, but it also patterns and interactions that uh, sort of hold your hand and give you some amazing looking things that uh, I don't know how well they perform or how big they are. And that's why I might get my hand slapped by Chris Love for even pointing this out, but I don't know. 
Let's, These are really beautiful, actually. But nice looking controls. Very, very beautiful looking things. Yeah, no kidding. Nice yeah. find, dude. Love and, it. And of course, you know, it's open source. It's on GitHub. So uh, it shouldn't raise any eyebrows as far as that's concerned. That's interesting. Yeah. That's good to see that they, you know, this bit of a ecosystem building up around React. There is. And, you know, we, we love this component model. And we wanted something like this. And React seems to have a nice answer for that. So the question is, uh, listeners out there are using React, are using components, are using Blueprint? Send us an email, leave a message, let us know what your experience is. We'd like to start a conversation around that. For sure. Yeah. Blueprintjs.com. Know it, learn nice it, love one. it. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grab to comment off of show 1188, the one we did back in September of 2015 with one Rick Strahl. Oh, yeah. Back when ASP.net was still V-next. Wow, long that was a long time ago. ago. It was long ago. Mm. And, of course, generated a ton of comments, as it always does. He surfed many waves since then. <laughs> I suspect he did. <laughs> uh, I, I grabbed this particular comment because it, it pleased me. It's a little more of a contradictory opinion. It is talking about this, you know, pre-core release. This is from pseudonym of Nightmare with a little <laughs> leadification in it. It says, it seems that the ASP.NET team is forgetting the dark matter developers. No one in the enterprise is using Node or Bower or what have you not. Hmm. Don't get me wrong. In my spare time, I'm using the shiniest new frameworks. However, at work, I have a team to work with. So far, the reaction around the office about VDEX has been, what? Why? Mm. I don't get it. And it's not so much a who moved my cheese reaction as it is, why are we making this change at all? Is it really an improvement? Right. And that's not really clear to me. Yeah. And I, I hope that a year later we've addressed this now because yeah. I, I think about the show we did with Jeff Fritz talking about the updates to web forms happening on the regular ASP.NET edition. Right. Uh, you know, the, the fact that there really is two threads of development going on inside of Microsoft now for the folks that are, let's call them dark matter, if you, if that's acceptable, folks that are working on the regular Windows stack aren't about to move away from it, see no advantage to what's happening over on the core side. Yeah, that's still being cared and fed, and I hope we're communicating that successfully. If we're not, please let us know, because I believe that's what's going on. And if cross-platform matters to you and sort of this newer model of approach, approach to development, not necessarily better, uh, then, you know, Microsoft's obviously moved in that space as well, and you can choose to go there. Right. So, Sir Nightmare, thank you so much for your <laughs> comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media. We publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. Cowabunga. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that was for you, Rick. <laughs> you, you, you went Ninja Turtles on me. <laughs> Sorry. I had to. Uh, all right. Let's bring out our guest, Rick Strahl. He is the big kahuna at West Wind Technologies on the beautiful island of Maui. Between windsurf sessions, Rick has been a software developer for over 25 years developing business and web applications since the very early days of the web. Today, Rick mentors customers on client-centric web applications and services with HTML5, JavaScript, mobile web technologies, and the ASP.NET stack on the back end. Rick has been a Microsoft MVP for 18 years running. He writes a popular development blog at weblog.west-win.com. 
And Rick, welcome back to the show. And I remember you being on our show in the very early days of .NET when people were trying to unpack ASP.NET 1.0 and move over from ASP. And there was a lot of Visual Basic programmers in there. And uh, while we've come so far since then, huh? Yeah, it's been a long way, huh? If you think about it. A lot yeah. of things have gotten easier and a lot of things have gotten more complicated too, I think. And I think that last comment brought that part up, I guess. Sure did. Yeah, there is a group of very productive developers, and I think it's a large group, that have not really jumped on a bunch of the JavaScript craziness that have happened in the past few years. And can you blame them? I mean, it changes so fast. And, you know, there are a lot of people who were the early adopters ended up refactoring and redoing and reusing and, uh, you know, implementing this framework and that framework and rewriting their apps many times. Yeah, I can totally agree with the, the uh, gentleman that commented there because uh, I work with a lot of customers who are maybe a little bit behind the curve. And um, those people, when they do look at all the new technology, the first reaction is, what? I have to learn all of this? Mm. And those of us who have been doing this stuff for a while, it's easy to forget that we've gradually come to this point of understanding, whereas people that are jumping in for the very first time, they have to really be on top of a lot of different technologies all at once in yeah. order to be productive. And it's there is a learning curve. And uh, if you compare it to things that we were doing 10 years ago, where you had to learn basically one main technology uh, now you have to learn at least two or three or four or five. And, uh, you know, there's a huge learning curve associated with that. You know, it used to be that people listen to our show to get the latest stuff about the .NET framework. And now they're hearing about this library and that library and this technology and that technology. And you get, you know, decision fatigue. And after a while, you just sort of give up. And I think that's what's and happened across the enterprise a lot. Yeah, it's not just uh, people who are maybe even behind the curve. Uh, Marcus Egger and I, we sit down once a week and we do like a little technology showcase for each other. So, you know, I show him what I'm working on. He he shows me what he's working on. And we sometimes just kind of sit down and say, well, what do we do next? Right. Right. And mm. we sit there sometimes and we go, you know, we really don't know. We're, we're here, but we don't know where we're going because it seems like things are splitting in so many different ways. It's hard to make a decision of where you should be next. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's kind of interesting, uh, that that happens at this point because we have so much choice, which is a good thing. But at the same time, there's so little guidance on what's right and so little, um, known body of experience because we're changing so fast we have no time to uh, to actually absorb all the new technology that we're working with we're kind of just constantly learning you know and never getting the time to actually get to the point where you feel really comfortable that you know exactly what you're doing with this and that technology yeah it always seems there's a new thing coming and you always have to jump in to to go to that point so well and, and um, to for, the 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 listener's point is this change for change sake? And, you know, and I think for some people on the outside of this, it does seem that way. You, I think all of us know Microsoft made this move because they're focused on selling more cloud and cloud is a cross-platform prospect. Mm. So they want to support all the platforms and they're driving everything to cross-platform because that's ultimately what the market's going to want. That doesn't necessarily benefit the individual existing developer. 
Right. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, in order for technology to move forward, things have to change at some point. Mm -hmm. The .NET framework uh, and ASP.NET, you know, they're 15 year old technology. Yes. So mm -hmm. it, it had to change in order to keep up with what, what types of application the high end is building. Um, if, if you fall off the high end at some point, then the, the framework becomes irrelevant. So right. Microsoft can't let that happen, right? So they have to make sure they stay up with uh, what's a, what what drives the platform forward? Well, and if you look at what they've done, they've rewritten yeah. C sharp, they've rewritten the .NET stack, they've rewritten the the web dev stack. Like they've dropped a lot of old code away successfully, while still keeping it close enough that their customers, who are willing at least, can take their skills and move forward with them. And just because they've done that, they may be turning people off who just have in anticipation that things are going to be different for them experience-wise, whereas Microsoft has really tried to maintain the same development experience with Visual Studio and other tools, um, you know, across the board. Yeah, well, there's there, there's two points here. The first one is is that uh, you know the .NET framework actually hasn't changed all that much if you really think about it. Right. I mean, they've gone down a, a different runtime path and a different base layer basically, but the actual framework and even the code that has gone into .NET Core, a lot of it is the original .NET framework code that's just been refactored into uh, smaller, more manageable chunks. Right. I'm sure there's been a lot of rewriting as well, but overall, I think the original code base is still very much alive, even in the new stack. Um, so things are changing in on a level that is much higher, I think, higher level as far as it goes for things like the cross-platform support, right? So that Azure can uh, host applications with both Unix and uh, Windows, for example. So those things are going to have changes and, and also have big impacts on the amount of people that can potentially use the platform. And I think if you really look at it from a perspective of where Microsoft was heading before all of this, is they were losing market share to the JavaScript platform sure. simply because... Um, most people do actually run web applications on Unix these days. And so Windows has kind of been somewhat falling off there. I mean, the enterprise is still doing really well with Windows, but for the smaller type applications, you find a lot of people using Unix these days. And Microsoft had to make this move. I mean, if they didn't, it, eventually they would have gone into relevancy, I think. Sure. And so I think and it's And did you say Unix or do you mean Linux? Linux, sorry. Right. Yeah. Unix was that old flavor of Linux. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, from an, on an op side, there is a non-trivial community that want their operation platform is Linux, not Windows. And if and a dev shows up into that platform saying, hey, I want to run IIS, it's like, well, that's a kind of a showstopper, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Should we talk a bit about Markdown Monster? What have you been up to, my friend? Yes, what is this <laughs> thing you call Markdown Monster? <laughs> so it's kind of an interesting sidetrack here that we took in the beginning there, huh? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's, so, it, I mean, um, it's obviously I, core focused, or it seems to be core focused. Yeah. So Markdown Monster is something that I've been doing on the side. Uh, it's essentially a uh, Windows-based Markdown editor. And since we're just coming off talking of all of this web stuff, that might come as a surprise to some. <laughs> since yeah. I typically come on this show to talk about 
web development, but right. really Markdown Monster is really a Windows application um, huh. that's written in, in WPF, and it is uh, basically a Markdown editor that you can run on your local machine and that has some pretty nice features. Hmm. Now, when you say Markdown, what does that mean? So uh, Markdown is a text format that you can use to create HTML. But unlike an HTML editor, which, which we call markup, right? Right. So uh, HTML markup is just what we want to end up with. But when you're editing HTML, in the past, a lot of times we've used rich text editors of some sort to right. try to produce that HTML. And that's always been problematic because building HTML editors is actually really, really hard because the uh, of the way that you edit HTML properly is that you have to have some sort of HTML control in the page, which is really heavy, and then it might not be supported by this or that browser. So, And the rendering may not be true to exactly what you expect, and the styling has to be in place. So if you render real HTML as a, uh, let's say, a, a rich et editor control, um, you have to be very precise in how you present that HTML. And if you want to just drop that into a website, for example, or you want to create an editor in your Windows application, there's all sorts of stuff that comes along with that. So Markdown is a different approach on doing something that allows you to embed HTML into your applications or create that HTML by using a very simple text format that has a few very, very simple uh, markup uh uh, gestures, shall we say, okay. um, to describe HTML markup, basically. So you can do things like bold text with two uh, stars, uh, you know, a, or a single star for italic text, or to create a list, you start a line with a star. Um, so there's a bunch of very simple commands that you use to create basic markup in a document just as text. And so it makes it much, much easier to create an edit experience for simple markup, which is what most solutions actually need, right? If you have an application that needs to use, um, let's say, a product field where you want to put some bold text and some lists and maybe uh, some headers and things inside of it, you don't really need a rich text editor for that. All you want to do is, hey, here, this, this needs to be formatted a certain way and this needs to be a list and so forth. And... Uh, using a text format, it's actually really easy to embed that into even just a text box without any sort of formatting of sort. So you can have a text box that you type into with plain text using these couple of markup commands, and you can actually produce some nice-looking HTML from that. Interesting. That is pretty cool. So do you see this as aimed at less at the developer, like someone who's... Like, I love not having to create angle brackets, right? Like, no more tags. You'll just do those exactly. for me. But uh, exactly. who's this really aimed at? Well, it's uh, right now it's kind of a, it, it's still a techie technology in that it's not really a mainstream format that you see in typical applications. Um, but it is fairly widely used. If you're a developer, um, you surely have seen markdown files uh, in source control repositories for readme.md files, right? Just, we've all seen that. So if right. you're using GitHub, you're creating your um, document, your main documentation page, your readme.md file as markdown. Nice. So that's a pretty common forward where you see right. that. Right. Um, you also see it in um, message boards a lot of times. Uh, a lot of right. message board applications or messaging applications use it. Um, Blogs. If you're using... Hmm? Yeah, blogs too. 
yeah, blogs. If you're writing blog posts, um, some blog engines do that. And this is one of the things that Markdown Monster actually addresses. So you can create your Markdown in Markdown Monster and then post it directly up to your web blog. Love it. And yeah. So that was one of the reasons that I actually ended up building my own is because I wanted to integrate all of that into one smooth experience. And we can get into that a little bit later, maybe. And so why did you choose WPF rather than make this a web property? So uh, as we were talking about web earlier, um, I think personally, I am leaning towards building everything on the web that I can because Mm. I, I love web applications. And I think right tool for the right job, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if I want to build an application that really is meant to be online where everything can stay online, I'm perfectly happy building a web application. I'm not going to go out and build a desktop application. But there are a number of things that I wanted to do um, uh, with Markdown Monster that I think that was important that I had the integration that I needed on the desktop. Okay. So one of those things in particular was um, screen captures. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to capture a screen and embed it directly inside of my application. Well, how do you do that on the web? I mean, you need to have some OS integration in order to be able to do that. Right. right? Also, I think if you're dealing with document-centric applications, um, I think the web is kind of a pain to work with because there's not an easy way to open files and get them loaded into the document. Everything that you do where you interact with a file on the web, you always have a file open dialog box that comes up, right? So you can't just press control S to save a file. Right. Um, if you want to actually store it locally. And also there's things like file associations, right? If you're in Windows and you're browsing in Explorer and you want to just double click on a file to open it, you can't do that um, to open it on the web. So there is a number of things that um, I think that desktop applications still do better. Um, Unfortunately, it's just a very small set of things and it would be really nice if we could do that on the web. But as of now, I think there's a number of things that you just can't do right now. And so that's one of the reasons that I built a desktop application. Very cool. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, dealing with the local file system is always a pain in JavaScript. I mean, you know, there are tools out there that make it easier, but, but you know, you're right. Yeah, you can only do so much. Right. The file safe uh, issue is one that, that bugs me about a number of applications that I use. I have a, mm. a number of document-centric applications, like I think draw.io is one of them that, I, that just comes to mind, Yeah, which is an awesome solution for uh, drawing diagrams and things. But every time you want to save, you actually have to, you know, go to the menu, click the save button. And then, you know, the dialogue comes up and it prompts you for a file name and it never remembers the last folder that you saved to. And so you have this whole rigmarole that you have to go to to open and uh, manage files. I think that's something that's really missing on the web at this Mm. point. And so it's a a little bit painful. So, again, for document-centric things um, that you open and close a lot, I think the web is still very hacky if you want to do that. Unless you keep all your files on the web in the first place which you can do. But again, um, when I'm dealing with Markdown, I want to be able to look at the files that I actually have in my local repository, for example, right? So um, it's good to have a local application for that. Yeah, absolutely. And this is an open source project, but you've also got a retail version? 
basically, it's open source, so the, co the code is available on GitHub, but it's a licensed product. So you do have to buy a license if you continue to use it. You can try it out for free. It's fully functional and everything. And there's also uh, a number of ways to get a free license if you're an MVP, a Microsoft MVP or insider or Microsoft employee. So you, they're, for those people that are listening, there's probably a large chunk of people who can get a free license from it. Okay. But I mean, it is open source. So I, in theory, I could download this and compile it and... Absolutely. Yes. There's that. So right? I mean, the 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 licensing is basically, uh, you know, you you um, you're supposed to pay for it. <laughs> okay. Eventually, if you use it, but um, yeah. it's basically uh, self-administered licensing. <laughs> okay. I I think that that's fair. It's just like, hey, if you like this thing, ship me some money. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But, uh, that's a good model. Yeah, I think it's very reasonable. I mean, right off the bat, I'm like, you know what? This looks like way more fun for maintaining. GitHub readme docs, which I find I'm doing a lot these days <laughs> yeah. around, you know, HTBox stuff and, and so on. It's just like, this is a hell of a lot more pleasant than typing that stuff out by hand. Yeah, or using well, a web-based editor. Yeah. Well, to be fair, you know, a Markdown is integrated into a lot of uh, standard editors. So mm -hmm. if you're using Visual Studio Code or you're using Visual Studio or you're using Sublime or whatever, all, most of those editors actually have support for Markdown editing and they do have syntax highlighting just like Markdown uh, Monster does. Right. So I think where the value of a tool like this comes in is, is that you can do those integrations with the operating system, right? So you're not just having a basic Markdown editor, which is fairly straightforward. Uh, you also have those features like being able to embed links and automatically pull in the links that are, might be on your clipboard or have an image editor where if you, uh, not an image editor, an image paste mechanism where you can paste a document directly into an image directly into your document or where you integrate with a screen capture utility that goes out, takes the capture and then immediately embeds it into the document. So it's the, the things around around the markdown editing, I think, that give this tool value, not so much the markdown editing on itself, which you can do in other places. So how is it being received? Are you getting any uh, reports of people using it for, for cool things? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, uh, I started with this as a personal project, <laughs> as yeah. so many things start. Um, and one of the reasons that I started with it is I, I needed a way to do my blogging a little bit more efficiently. So I've been using LiveWriter in the past, and um, I still like LiveWriter, yeah. but I sure. started using Markdown a lot, and uh, I just figured it's a much easier way for me to write if I can write as just plain text and not have to deal with the lag of like uh, an HTML editor, which was, is what LiveWriter is. So I, I started building this tool for myself, and then I showed a few people what I had done, and they were, oh, let me have it. Let me try it out. And so... After a few people had done that, this is really cool. I decided, okay, um, probably enough interest here to just put it out. So I put it out on GitHub and um, also put a download up and a bunch of people downloaded it. And right away there was requests coming in. Can you add this? Can you add that? So it all went from there. So I think the um, initially before the, the, the tool got released, I didn't get a ton of feedback, but I could tell that a fair amount of people were downloading it and playing with it. So now um, that it's actually released, there's a lot more traffic on the issues uh, um, repository part of uh, GitHub. And so I can see that there's people using it and they are using it for a number of different things. So um, it's hard to tell exactly who's using it. Um, so we'll have to see. It's relatively new. So it's only been out for two months at this point. 
So yeah, it's still early days, and I'd love to talk to you about the actual construction and so forth. I love the video you made for this too, because it is it really do just walk through a whole ton of features. Yeah, I mean, there's a you know, it, it's, it's like I said, um, a markdown editor on the surface seems very simple, but if you talk about all the little things that are built into it to make life easier as you go through your editing process, um, I think th those that there's the real value in in what this tool can provide. Yep. So, um, and the video kind of takes you through all those little nooks and crannies of the product where you can see some of the things that, um, that, that are available to do this. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is uh, now? It must be that happy time again. You got it. It's time to pull out my Mark Miller remote control. Uh-oh. Yep. So here's what happens when I press the mark up button. Oh my God. Oh no. Oh my God. And uh, right, what's the mark down? Right, here's button. what happens when you press the mark down button. Oh my God. Oh no. I knew you were going to go there. Subtle, subtle difference. Yeah, total, total difference. There was a little pause. A little, a little pause. Okay, it's funny for you and me. <laughs> All right, it is. And anybody that knows Mark Miller and how frenetic he is. But it's actually time to announce the winner of the Donny Osmond Lookalike Contest. No. <laughs> Sorry. And it's John Skeet. No, wait, that's not right. <laughs> All right. It's actually time to give away a Component One studio to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, let me tell you about Grape City Active Reports. Now, this is the reporting platform for all your business needs. And on top of that was the very first advertiser in .NET Rocks. Indeed. And uh, still awesome. You can design, publish, view, print, and export operational reports like invoices, expense reports, tax and government forms, as well as strategic and analytical reports like sales, performance, budgeting, revenue analysis, and the like. Active Reports gives you the operation and flexibility you need to turn your data into informative, pixel-perfect reports across the enterprise. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Paul Salinas. Congratulations, Paul. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. Yep. I just love giving away other people's stuff. <laughs> it's wonderful. We, I get the credit. They write the code. There you, you go. Know. Whatever. <laughs> it's fun. Uh, and if you don't know what we just did here for Paul, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, and we just did this last month, mm -hmm. like two weeks ago, maybe? Something like that. Uh, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club, but you have to sign up to win. And uh, we also like to ask our guests, of course, Rick, if you had five grand to spend on technology today, what would you buy? I gave this a lot of thought <laughs> because okay. every time I come on here, we, <laughs> so I'm not much of a gadget guy, so I don't really need any technology at the moment, but I do have a good use of my money that is technology related. And that is time. Yes. You buy me some time. I want time. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I'll yeah. take your $5,000 and I'll apply it to my salary or whatever I get paid normally to take some time off to just Learn about new technologies. That's you great. Just you, you know, Jonathan Zook was the first one on the show to say he would like more time. And to do that, he would hire an assistant. Yeah. 
Isn't that fun? That's also a good way. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to do it too. I still yeah. like the idea of not working and taking the time instead to, <laughs> Take to a do, vacation. To, no, no, no. It's not meant to be a vacation, but to be actually, you know, to learn about new technology. So yeah. to watch plural side courses, to go off, you know, read on the web, keep up on the technology. Actually, you live just, in Maui. So just going to Pluralsight is a vacation for you because you're like right on the beach. Come on. <laughs> your life is a vacation, dude. <laughs> uh, well, this isn't a vacation. This is working. This is learning. That's this right. is, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> it just happens to be working and learning on the beach. That's fine. That's good. Yeah, I don't see anything wrong with that. I don't either. I'm jealous, actually. Do people do anything else? (laughs) (laughs) Don't you also bounce to, like, Portland to do windsurfing in the Columbia Gorge? Yes, I do in the summer. And we just got back, um, I don't know, a couple months ago. Yeah. Yeah. So That's awesome. Yeah. It's actually been kind of interesting here. The weather has been, like, not very Maui-like for the last few weeks. Yeah, I've heard that Mm -hmm. you guys actually had, like, winter weather come through. Snow yeah, at the top of the volcanoes. Yeah. Oh, it did that too. Yeah. But I mean, the rain, it's more about the rain and the rain has actually brought the snow to the mountain. I think there's like, uh, they said they were expecting at some point a total of 20 inches of snow on Mauna Loa. So wow. that's kind of interesting. Mm. Snow <laughs> in Hawaii. That, right. But it's yeah. on the mountain, you know, the, the mountain is 11,000 something feet tall. So it's only yeah. at the very top, I think, that they get snow uh, but I'm still, kind of surprised you don't go down the gadget path with your windsurfing boards and stuff. Like, cause you, you know, you get a lot of GoPros for five grand. <laughs> this is true. I already have them though. <laughs> yeah, right. I figured that was coming. Of course. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have a bunch of gadgets and I think last time we, I was on, we were talking about the drone that follows you. Yes. Um, and you know, the technology is just not good enough at this point to make that happen because i think most drones top out at 15 20 minutes or something and yeah. it's, it's just not enough time um you know you would basically go out you know make your two three runs and then come back in mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah now if it was a really good automated drone it would go pick up a new battery pack and come back without you without you having to interfere with it and bring the beer with it too there right? you go <laughs> that's the biggest problem with surfing not enough beer all right, so let's jump back in. And, and first, before we talk about the features, I'd like to give everybody qu- kind of an idea what Markdown looks like. And I can do this in just a few sentences. Um, looking at the picture, that's on markdownmonster.west-win.com. It's a screenshot, and it's got a live preview of HTML on the right and the, the text the, the colored, syntax-colored markdown text on the left. And the first line has a pound sign and a space and then a sentence, and that becomes your header, right? That becomes your H1, I guess. Right. And then you've got a, um, a, a, a picture, which you define with a couple of characters, an exclamation point and two uh, in open bracket and square bracket, and then in parentheses, the name of the file. And then just regular text, which becomes a paragraph. And I like the fact that you just start a new paragraph and it becomes a new paragraph. You don't have to put P's around anything or a couple of breaks or anything like that. Uh, also, if you have a, a bulleted list, you just asterisk space for each item. And it just looks very, very, very easy. Um, you, I also notice here that uh, the top the top header is one pound sign and that must be H1. And then there's another one down here that's pound, 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 which must be H3. Correct. Yes. It just seems like, you know, and that begs the question, you know, 
Why isn't this just HTML? <laughs> no, and I mean that by why isn't HTML as easy as this? And I do realize that, you know, it's opinionated and, you know, we, we need to have a lower level of control like we do with HTML. But, but still, this is, uh, if, if you're just writing a blog post or, or a readme or just a document or something, this seems like the way to go. Yeah, it's very easy. And the other thing to, that speaks to this, I think, is that there's only a handful of things that you really use on a regular basis. So right. while the way that you just explained this sounds really complicated, actually, it is you, you get very used to the, you know, five or six things that you use all the time. Right. Um, there's also support for code highlighting in Markdown. So you can put code inside with a language tag associated with it. So you can use three backticks and then say C-sharp, and it will code highlight your code for you. Um, the thing to remember about Markdown is uh, two things, actually. One is that you can actually put HTML into your Markdown. So right. uh, Markdown supports inline HTML. If you just put HTML inside it, it will just render it as HTML, hmm. which is nice if you have some custom you know, thing that you do on your blog, for example, that allows you to highlight something, for example. Or if you have an image that you need to left align or right align that isn't really supported by uh, the marked up language, right? It's very basic, so you don't have support for attributes and things like that in the markup tags. But um, the rendering that happens is entirely up to the engine that is used to render this. So the HTML output that comes out of this is very plain. It has no um, understanding of um, styling of any sort. So it just produces raw markup that is HTML. And then the styling has to be handled by something else. So when you're looking on the left side there, no, on the right side to see the preview, that is Markdown Monster has actually applied some styling to that HTML to make yeah. it look the way it looks. Yeah, so yeah. if you go on, uh, you can go down there uh, on the right side of the screen, actually on the bottom, there is a way that you can actually change the theme and then it will render differently, right? It'll use a different rendering theme mm. for doing that. So the idea of this is basically that you generate the HTML and then you plug it into something else. So when you post it to a blog, um, the blog will handle handle the styling for you. Or if you post it to an application um, that uses um, a Markdown-based piece of, um, of text that it renders as HTML, that application will render that. If you go to GitHub and you edit your readme.md file, there's some styling that knows how to deal with the basic tags that it actually represents. Hmm. So Markdown itself is not responsible for what you see rendered. It's only the raw HTML output that it produces, which is simply what you put in here. So in that document, you have, you know, headers, lists, images, but there's nothing that is actually related to the styling that comes out of Markdown natively. Do you, did you yourself add things to the, what is considered standard Markdown, or is this all just regular standard this Markdown all, syntax? all standard Markdown. So Markdown is a very simple specification, and it was uh, made in, I think, 2009, 2008 or 2009 or so. It was created by somebody named Mark Ruber. And then um, a few years later, there was a common Mark specification that extended it a little bit. And then on top of that, in more recent years, there is a whole bunch of extensions that have been built on top of Markdown that are fairly standard. Um, so, for example, those code extensions that we were looking at, those are part of GitHub-flavored Markdown. 
And that's actually came about because GitHub needed to have code listings, right? So they created an extension format, which is the triple t uh, um, backtick that allows you to embed code snippets into code, for example. Um, Did you say Mark Gruber or John Gruber? It's Mark Gruber. Okay. John Gruber? John Gruber. Daring Fireball? Gruber. Yeah, it's John Gruber, huh? John Gruber, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's fair. People forget. Like, he's one of the yeah. original bloggers. I just pulled up yeah. his blog post about Markdown. It's from 2004. <laughs> wow, yeah. This has been around for a while. But it's interesting, you know, the impact some people have on things. Isn't there an extension for Markdown in Visual Studio? Yes. Yes, there is. So if you open a Markdown file in Visual Studio, it will show you somewhat syntax colored um, uh, Markdown directly in Visual Studio. And I think there's a there's a preview too. So you can toggle the preview on and off. So it's in that respect, it's very similar. But that's where it stops, right? All it does is the editing and the preview. There's nothing else there. So um, I want to come back to these extensions because I think that's pretty important, actually. Um, so two things here. Number one is if you want to use Markdown in your own applications, let's say you build your own blog engine on a website or you build an application that does use Markdown in some way, if you're using .NET, you're going to need some sort of a uh, library that can render um, Markdown to HTML. And there's a whole bunch of these things that are available. Um, in the past, I've used something called commonmark.net, which is based on that common mark spec that I was talking about, Okay. Um, which is very fast, very efficient. More recently, um, there is a new library that came out called markdig, which is actually very, very cool because it has already built in a whole bunch of these extensions that I'm talking about. And if you go to this markdig site um, um, on GitHub, um, you can find a list of those extensions listed there, and it's actually a great list of things that, that can be added. So CommonMark, for example, does not natively support code snippets, but a library like uh. MarkDig, which has built-in support for that automatically, so it can do basically GitHub-flavored Markdown out of the box. Nice. Um, it can also do things like footnotes. Um, there is uh, a YAML extraction utility, so a lot of Markdown documents tend to have uh, a header, a YAML header at the top that has some uh, information about the document itself. And that extension will actually pull out that so that it doesn't render as, as, as part of the HTML. There's also additional emphasis pieces like subscript, superscript, um, strike through, and so forth that are useful. And so um, tons of extensions that are available. And MarkDig is... Um, implementing a whole bunch of them. And then it also provides a very nice mechanism for actually um, extending uh, the Markdown parser with your own functionality via uh, a pipeline module that you use. So you can basically look at the Markdown and then modify it and then pass it back through. This is really cool. I'm just staring in awe of just the, all the thought around all of this. So Markdown is, is getting very popular in developer circles and it's mm -hmm. getting used quite, quite massively for um, uh, a number of things. Uh, all the ASP.NET documentation, for example, is done in Markdown now and it's on GitHub, right? It's open source documentation. So you can go in and actually make changes to the documentation using Markdown documents, for example. So more and more is, uh, of that is actually happening in the developer space in terms of documentation. Um, so that's pretty exciting to see because it makes it easier for everybody to actually edit text that way. All right, very cool. 
Should we talk about building an editor? Like, God, how many times has this been done? <laughs> well, uh, I have to disappoint you there, Richard. I didn't actually build the editor. <laughs> because, you know, who wants to build an editor? Who would do that? <laughs> yeah, who would now, do that? I, I feel better that you haven't because my, my experience with you, Rick, is you're a smart guy who doesn't do dumb things and writing another editor is a dumb thing. Well, unless it isn't. Oh, man. Have you ever have you ever tried building an editor? <laughs> I, I have in the past and I tell yeah, you, I will a, never a, ever a try again. A decade or two ago, then I got some sense. <laughs> yeah. I, I've tried once before and I will never ever try again because it, it's it harder than it looks. Oh, it's way, way harder than it looks, especially so if you... So, did somebody else build the editor, or did you purchase something that you could customize? How did? What did you use? Okay, so here's the deal. Um, Markdown Monster actually uses a third-party component, and it's a JavaScript editor that's running inside of Markdown Monster. So, this is wow. a WPF application. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's hosting a web browser control, actually two web browser controls, one for the preview and one for the uh, Markdown editor. And inside of there, there is a editor called Ace Editor, which is a very popular JavaScript um, editor that you can use. And it has built-in support for Markdown highlighting. Um, it can do a ton of formats. Um, it's not just Markdown that it can do, but I mean, it knows how to render C Sharp. It knows how to render HTML, XML, and about 50 other languages. And so you can just plug that into your application and then use it. So what's cool about this is um, it is a JavaScript component, but this is a WPF application. So there's actually a bunch of interop that's going on between the web browser control and this ACE editor running inside of it and the WPF application. So the WPF application can stuff information into the document. So when I do uh, things like highlight, uh, embed an image, for example, or make some text bold or something that's actually initiated by the WPF application that then talks to the editor in JavaScript and tells it to do whatever it needs to do. So ACE editor has a very rich API and then the WPF application via com interop actually talks to that uh, JavaScript component and makes it do all the things that I needed to do here. That's really cool. Yeah, that's very cool. It, it's actually really an interesting, um, use of you know the web browser control i think because you can do some really cool stuff with that um and this editor is kind of a, a good demonstrations of what you can do right um uh, there isn't really a net component that provides this sort of functionality there are editor controls but they're mm -hmm. not anywhere near as full featured and as easy to manipulate as it is this javascript control for example right and what was the name of the javascript control it's called ace script editor a ace editor Ace editor. Okay. And you can put that, it's on the show notes. I will. I post it. And, and that's exactly what I'm thinking is it's just like, it's so interesting to look at how you assemble these different pieces. And I would not have thought, you know, under the hood here, this is a JavaScript engine. That, that makes sense. So here's yeah. a, here's a dumb question. How do you deal with updates? You know, I think there's so many ways to do updates with a Windows application today. And it's a lot easier than it used to be even a few years ago, but but there's a, uh, you know, there are options there. How do you deal with it? So I have um, a mechanism that checks for versions when a new version comes along. Um, you know, there's a the version check, I think once a week or something by default, and then you can change the interval. Okay. Uh, and then it just sends you to the website and lets you re-download. So the download of Markdown Monster is really small. It's only like four megs or something like that. So then you just reinstall. 
Uh, the other option is you can use chocolatey. Um, for those of you that don't know what chocolatey is, it's a package manager for Windows. So you can basically install applications through chocolatey. Um, so you can say Shoko install Markdown Monster, for example, or Shoko install Git, or Shoko install um, Notepad++, or whatever mm -hmm. you want to install. Mm -hmm. um, right. There's a lot of things available. And so Markdown Monster is on Chocolatey. And then if you want to update, you can just say Shoko update Markdown Monster, and it will get whatever the latest version on uh, Chocolatey is. Nice. Um, so the mechanism itself is pretty low tech, right? You're just reinstalling, basically. <laughs> I'm not patching and I'm not doing, you know, um, updates over uh, click once because to be honest with you, it's not worth it. Um, it's actually just as fast to run a full installation that, and sure. then it is to do a click once update. And there's all sorts of limitations that come with click once that make things harder than they need to be. Yeah, like so if you have an antivirus program for example it will be hostile to it ask me well, how i know <laughs> yeah. I, I don't need to ask you i know <laughs> yeah yeah i was uh, and it's I, only it's what four and a half megs like what's the point just get a new copy and that way you make sure you know the old version gets uninstalled the new version gets installed there's yeah. no diffing or files left behind it actually is a yeah, much cleaner process it is i've i've done it with other applications where i had progressive updates or or even had the application try to download an update but then again you run into problems as carl points out with antivirus and speaking of antivirus i had one hell of a time in the beginning of this i was using a different installer product prior to um, using Inno Installer, which is what I had switched to now. And due to some weird byte ordering or whatnot, the antivirus software just went nuts on this. So hmm. all the antivirus um, companies flagged this thing as, as, as a virus, sure. <laughs> as a Trojan, basically. And so um, running it against virus total, it was coming up with like 20 or 30 <laughs> warnings from various vendors and so i had to switch installers so yeah carl i can relate <laughs> yeah it's a shame yeah, yeah i mean uh, the whole antivirus thing is so ridiculous it in is. that case because you know there, there was nothing wrong with that no. in any way and right. it just flagged in a whole bunch of different products yeah well and but you can understand why right an update like that, where you're writing into existing files, that looks like a Trojan injection. Like, there's not a lot of difference between the two. Yeah, but I, it, uh, well, first of all, just switching the installer fixed the problem. So that tells you right there, it yeah. wasn't actually the update that was doing it. And then later on, I actually removed the update part of it and just put it separate. Um, but I, I think I actually had done that prior to, um, to updating to the new installer where I had moved it to the down the separate download link rather than installing myself yeah. So I don't think these antivirus tools actually have the capability to look into that exactly. So Yeah, I, I don't know it, they do either. I think they're just watching for certain behaviors, right? There's certain mechanisms Antivirus yeah, software is trying to get how smarter. How would they know that when they just do a scan of the of the installer, you know? So. Yeah, now, I think they're looking for particular behaviors, right? That, that this is an insert, this isn't, you know, inserting new data into a file, that kind of thing. It, it's, it's a profiling approach and it's of limited capability. You know, I don't know what to say. I have nothing good to say about antivirus software. I got nothing good to say about viruses either. No. 
Yeah, I guess there's somewhere in the middle is the the right thing. Anyway, switching to another installer fixed it for me, which is lucky, but um, it was a whole lot of heartache in the process. It took me like three weeks to get that all sorted out. But I got to think it's also a great set of experiences for you to build a modern desktop installing app because lots of people haven't done this. It's been a while. Yep. And actually, yeah. it's been really useful for me because I've actually had to go reevaluate how do I build and deliver an application. So I had to create a new build process for this whole thing. So now I'm down to basically one click install. I, I, well, not one click. It's from the command line. I do my build install and it runs with one command. And yep. I can, and another command to upload and another command to send it to Chocolatey. So there's three three steps that I have to go through to get a full thing published online, which nice. is Nice. So your pain's pretty low too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How often mm-hmm. are you pushing updates out these days? Very frequently. Because <laughs> it's early days, right? It's only been a couple of months. Yeah. So I, I've been like uh, updating almost at least once a week, sometimes twice a week. And that's all the way through to Chocolatey. So that means the whenever there's a new build, I push it up generally. So I've nice. been very, I've been trying to just make it as as quickly as possible because there are just a ton of changes that people are requesting, and I'm just putting them in. Most of these things are, e- if they're easy and simple things to fix, mm. just put it in and put it up. Mm-hmm. Awesome, dude. Yeah, very cool. So what's next? What's on your What's on your to do list? What looks like Markdown Monster is going to keep me busy for a little while. That's fine. <laughs> <Yeah. why. laughs> That's that's yeah. great. Actually, it's actually a really fun project. I think you nailed it. Um, it's certainly not a big money maker, but um, uh, it is certainly a. It's been a really fun process to build something like this. Um, and as I said originally, uh, one of the reasons that I built this is because I do a lot of writing, and the blog publishing part of it has helped me so much in making my process more. Uh, much easier in terms of getting things uploaded and more quickly, and being able to edit things more quickly. Uh, and I just love it. And uh, I use it on a regular basis. And so every time I see something that needs fixing for myself, I fix it. And then, of course, now that the GitHub issues are starting to accumulate slowly, um, there's lots of good suggestions coming in from the community. So I love that involvement. Yeah. So it's great. You're awesome. Really Thanks, Rick. This is good stuff. Okay. I've already downloaded it and I'm going to use it myself. Awesome. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.